up, everybody? Welcome to Studio Wesley Annex, the audiovisual podcast where we talk about the lectionary texts of the week. I'm your host, Michael Yarrick, here with Sam. Sam, say hi to the people. Hey, guys. Hey, people. Um, as you can tell, there's only two people here this time because this is a special episode because this is actually going to be one of the last episodes that I host because Sam over here is going to be taking over the show. Sam, how do you feel? I'm very, very excited to do this, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity, um, and also just really excited to have this kind of conversation, because this is going to be fun. Me and Michael oh. go back and forth on this for a full two hours. Oh, absolutely. This um, That was like an incredibly formal introduction, but uh, this is not <laughs> this is not a formal space, <laughs> but it's very fun. Um, if it makes you feel any better, I had ice in my mouth as you started, and I had to really chew fast, because I was like, oh, he's going to say my name. I got to be I gotta be in this. Yeah, you would be up first. I'm, I'm very insecure because I had, like, this many Mike and Ikes before starting. Oh my so, my, so my tongue is really red, and I was like, oh, no, is it going to – it's just that, like, oh, my gosh, is my mouth going to look super red? I also, like, ate Jello today. Like, so I have just all, <laughs> all the, like, super red – you're on like a red diet today. <laughs> yeah, if I was one of those people, like, because I have a friend who's allergic to like red dye number or whatever, like this would be a bad day for me, but I'm good. <laughs> I have the opposite. I have a friend who for some reason always requests, he's like, do you think red 34 is in this? Love red 34. That's, a, <laughs> that's an oddly specific thing to be like obsessed with. Says it every meal. Um, Does this have red red dye 34? Uh, I, I, I'm just asking yeah, you. Some, my if we don't. It's kind of my favorite spice. spice. <laughs> uh, awesome, awesome. Okay, but we will we will continue on with the episode as it's as you know we've been trying. Uh, Sam, as you want to you want to open us up in prayer? Yeah, let's open it up in prayer. Um, dear God, thank you for this time and thank you for these words um, and thanks for friendship and being able to have these kind of conversations. And thanks for a space where we can take down all of the barriers that usually feel so big about religion and just have a fun conversation and pass the time. Um, thank you for all this. And let's get into the podcast, I guess. That's the end of my prayer. Yay! <laughs> I, was, I was literally just thinking, too, I didn't mention this in the intro. I was like, this is, um, you just put the two, like, theater kids on the on the pod together. I'm telling you. It, and we I should have thought of that beforehand. And I didn't actually prepare any sort of like relationship to a play or a musical or anything, but I'm sure we'll get there organically. <laughs> I have a deep cut feeder one in mind. I'm oh, prepared. Okay. okay, good. All right. All right. Then well, we've covered the <laughs> we, we can officially start now because we've got that covered. Okay. Um, yeah. So my first, my first text is first Corinthians uh, chapter eight verses one through 13. So th- I, this is going to be one of the most scattered things I've probably uh, ever talked about on the show because, uh, you know, why not end strong? <laughs> but um, I will say this, like, specific passage. So a lot of the times I feel like, okay, s- scripture, there's, like, a lot uh, to unpack here or whatever. I like this chunk because the whole thing feels like a logical argument. Like, this this whole the whole thing, at least in the translation I'm reading from The Voice, it feels like somebody – making an argument to me, but like in a very calm way. So I feel very taken care of with the scripture, I guess is what I should say. So um, the moral that we'll eventually get to is um, uh, basically how, how this chunk ends, which says, um, uh, uh, let's see, I, I would never, uh, like it's a prayer to God, I would never be the crack, the rise, or the rock on the road that causes someone else to stumble, which I think is already 
awesome, right? Like we as Christians don't want to be the cause of anybody else to stumble in their faith journey or just in life in general. So that's really cool. The pathway we get here is is more interesting. So I'm going to read the first chunk of this text here. So as to the concern of eating food dedicated to idols, we know that all of us have knowledge, but knowledge can be risky. Knowledge promotes overconfidence and worse arrogance, but charity of the heart, love that is, looks to build up others. Just because a person presumes to have some bit of knowledge, that person doesn't necessarily have the right kind of knowledge. But if someone loves God, it is certain that God has already known that one. And then we go on to kind of double down on this example. So um, the story that we're being told here is that if you're eating food that was dedicated to like false idols or idols that you as a believer know that the food you're eating because we know that the idols are, or because we believe that the idols aren't real, then like to follow that logic, the food that was dedicated to the idols doesn't hold any sort of symbolic meaning or anything. So to eat it really isn't a problem. It's you're just eating food. But then it goes on to say, well, if there's somebody who's like newer in their faith um, and they see you eating that food that was made for idols and maybe they don't have all of that same sort of knowledge and strength in their religion, religious journey, then to them, by seeing you eat that, they may start partaking in that, but to them, they're partaking in it in a different way because they don't have all the information. So it kind of raises this morality question of, you know, what is the responsibility here <laughs> for us, right? Which I do think is a very, very interesting question because, um, I mean, on, on the surface level, I think we can all relate to this desire to want to show up for others. And if other people are struggling, like we, we want to have the responsibility in like helping others. Um, but as like young people, and this is me speaking for myself right now. So, um, I'm not speaking across the board here, but, um, I do think there's a difficulty and like a maturity that's needed for the discernment of like, when am I responsible for other people's behavior? And when am I not? Um, and this is a question that's very hard always. I mean, I'm, this is like one of the main reasons, like young, I mean, for me that I'm in therapy, right. I, I like, I want to be able to discern like when as a people pleaser, or like when are, when am I responsible for the actions of others? And when am I not, you know? And um, that's like the big question for me around this, like, cause I think this is clear cut and I think this is beautiful, right? Like, as Christians, we want to be accountable. We want to have that accountability and we want to be consistent in what we do and how we support others. Because, um, you know, I, I do believe that we are called to have a selfless heart through Jesus. And if we're called to fight against selfishness wherever we can, um, then yeah, this makes total sense. But we also have to be able to recognize when it's a detriment to ourself and when we need to take care of ourselves. Again, that that's stepping a little outside of the scripture here, right? But but I think it's an important part of this this conversation. So I just want to put that asterisk on there of like, there's a maturity level of discernment that we have to kind of engage with in ourselves on when, like, you know, I may be doing something that's good for my faith journey and it may make somebody else's faith journey harder. But if it veers me off the path or veers somebody else off the path, you know, there's this whole sort of interchange of all of us needing to like, be there for each other. So I don't know. That's a little bit of a mess, like I said. Uh, but Sam, I'd love to hear. Did I, does that does that jumbled mess make sense to you, Sam? 
not only did we put the two theater kids on this podcast, but as soon as you talked about being in therapy for people pleasing, I, I had to take a moment of like, okay, we're going here on this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as somebody who had like walked into therapy the first day and said, I'm a people pleaser. What do I do about that? Yeah. Um, the most interesting analogy for me with that conversation in this text is like being, you don't want to be, the the cracks in the road that cause somebody to stumble but like is it my job to pave the road again Ah. or am i just not supposed to be an obstacle am i supposed to like be quiet about this and like step out of the way and let other people or am i supposed to like make it easier for others same thing like with the food am i am i the one who's supposed to provide real food is that is that what we're supposed to be doing because like that that's such a big thing and i think it is a generational, like, especially just being young people and like being raised in a certain way, especially like it being raised Christian where you're told like, you should always be doing what you can to help others as much as you can. And sometimes there's a detriment in that of like, I, there are some people that if I help too much, then there's nothing left for me. And like, that's, that's such a real, real fear that I feel like a lot of people are like struggle with constantly yeah the the analogy i was once given because i was just in a really rough place and was like trying to take care of everyone else's stuff and uh like a friend of mine was like you can't fill up other people's buckets if yours isn't full Mm. and that i think about that all the time of like do i need to put in my mental energy and my sanity to fix this problem is it something that can be fixed is it something i can help with or am i just doing it because I like it when everybody's happy. Yeah, and like, especially in a, a faith setting of like, is it? Are you supposed to make choices that may be to the detriment of your faith to help other people grow? And like, it's like that's such a hard, sounded like a selfish question, but it's not. Yeah. Ooh, you put the two people pleasers on this together. No, this no, is interesting. Well, well, I think it's important because, and obviously, like anybody who's watching this or her knows you or knows me, right? Like everybody's pretty much everybody who's on the show is all about helping others. Like we are, we are here to like help others. We're here to be there for others, to stand up for others. Like, like the allyship is strong, right? Like, like this is, (laughs) we're all about it. Right. Um, But with that, we have to acknowledge the side of it that says, but also take care of yourself. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. because I, I do recognize there's a sort of like grind culture or grind nature in, in other people where it's like, it's almost like a, a martyrdom, if I can even use that strong of yeah. a word. I'm helping others, and it's harming me, but I'm going to keep helping and keep giving and keep giving because I need to be selfless. And um, and I do, and I do think we have we have to engage with the level of like discernment of like at what point is because at a certain point, if you're giving so much, and then you're starting to give the part of yourself that you need you're giving up parts that make you a helpful person, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you start, you start to give into the tank that is literally like supporting your ability to get, to help people. Right. And then it starts hurting, hard, harming everyone. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is, so uh, I don't know if I, if I, I landed on any sort of specific thing other than me saying like a verse like this, which is so beautiful in regards to like um, helping others. We just want to engage with the the flip side of that too. And like, this is a, a weird way to phrase it, but like yeah. selflessness is an important thing in faith, but also yourself matters too. And yeah. like there are times where you should make that choice. There are times where you should like 
the thing that always happens with my like personal nature is that like there are times where as much as I want to go hang out and do stuff and be with people and support people, I'm just going to I'm just going to yeah. have some me time. I'm just going to do something that doesn't benefit anyone else, but just kind of a reset. And like I think yeah. that's a really important conversation to have, especially around like young people when you're especially like college age when everything is go, mm -hmm. go, go and help, help, help and do stuff. And then, and then, sorry, now I'm going to, we're just going to keep rolling. And then not to like, we can't, we can't punish ourselves because an opportunity to help that we couldn't fulfill arose. Right. And I don't think this, I don't read any part of the scripture as condemning in nature at all. Mm -mm. I think, I think it's just, and that's why I think I like it so much is because the scripture feels very like it keeps, it keeps jumping around logic, like not inconsistently. It's consistently like, reframing it and reframing it because it's being very gentle in its approach of like, Hey, make sure to help people, you know, like it, I don't know. It feels yeah. very gentle, which is why I think it opens up this conversation so well. Yeah. I don't know. This is not a, a like fire and brimstone. You got to do this. Exactly, this is like a exactly. parenting like, Hey buddy, have we considered yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh yeah. We feel taken care of. Thank you. First I, chapter eight. <laughs> I love that. And I love, that your text kind of works really well with mine when you said like, what is the job? What is the responsibility of people of faith? Cause like, that's going to be my whole thing. I'm a, I'm just going to jump right into Deuteronomy. Yeah, take it away. With it. Deuteronomy yeah. 18. Um, I think I read this text and I'm immediately like, what that's the question is like, what are we supposed to do as people of faith? Because Deuteronomy uh, like it's 15 through 19. And the section is titled, at least in my Bible, it's titled A New Prophet Like Moses. And it's a commandment that's saying, God is going to find us a new prophet. It'll be from your people. And we, he's going to act like Moses. They will be like Moses. And they will bring up the word of God and be an interpreter of both God to human and human to God. Great stuff. But then it catches you. And it's like, but also, there are some people that are going to say they're prophets. And they're not. But also, but also, there are some people that think they're prophets and are not. But also, but also, but also, there are some people that are prophets and are worshiping the right God, but also aren't saying the right things. So figure that out. Um, the line that I highlighted is it the only time where it says, like, this is how you tell if it's a fake prophet, is it says, if a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken which great commandment, you said exactly what it is. But in reading the commentary and like diving into this text, the thing that kept coming up is like, well, what do you do in the moment? You can do it in retrospect and be like, ah, I shouldn't have listened to that guy. But in the moment, when you have a religious leader in front of you and they're telling you something, are you supposed to hesitate? Are you supposed to be like, mm, are you a real prophet? And like, this is the conversation and the question that I wanna bring up with this text because I don't have an answer because there's kind of two flaws with this. There is either you can have a, a leader, doesn't have to be a religious leader, a leader in front of you who claims that they are voice of the people and they are a prophet and you follow them. And then afterwards you're like, oh yeah, that was the wrong move. They weren't right. They might've believed that they were doing something good, but they weren't. But then the other flip side of that, and this is something that the commentary I read dives into is what happens when there is a leader who is trying to do this amazing thing and trying to change systems, but you're like, mm, is this a fake prophet? Let me not, let me not get into it. Let me not even like test it. The quote that I wrote down 
is most people in communities have a hard time hearing the words that demand a drastic change. So the tendency is to ignore such words and to dismiss them as false prophets. So like, what is the job of us as people of faith? That, that's my big question. Are we supposed to blindly be like, yup, I trust this, this is a good prophet. Or are we supposed to always question and be like, is this really the word of God? Because really this text, the only thing it says to like a checklist of if it's a real prophet is they're going to be like Moses. They're going to come from the people and they're going to love God and love God's people. But that's it. The rest is up to you. So this is my, I have no answer. Let's have a conversation about it. Dude, way to, way to speak into like every insecurity that, that I've had <laughs> through my walk of faith journey of like, I don't trust, I don't trust my ability to tell the difference between these people. Like, Correct. And, like and even if I think, if I may think that God is telling me which one of these people it is, who am I? Who am I to like make any sort of, oh yeah, this is a, fa- a false prophet or this is, you know, like, mm-hmm. and then, and then, and then you get down to it and you're like, well, what, how, how do I like, where, where does, yeah. Where does the decision-making come in into play, you know? Um, yeah. And that's when I start to like really lean it. So there, I, um I took this trip to, to Turkey like a couple summers ago and um I, I got to visit the Hagia Sophia and I talk about this in so many of these darn episodes because <laughs> that experience was so cool to me because the Hagia Sophia and I'm probably going to mess up the history of this, but it, I, I think it, Oh gosh, I don't want to mess this up. I'm, it might be the inverse of what I'm about to say, but it starts as a, as a, a Christian place of worship. And then Islam comes in, gets reverted mm-hmm. to a museum and then back to Islam or some sort of chain along those lines. Yeah. Again, please. I'm sorry to everybody listening. That's the wrong history, but <laughs> but it's cool because as you're touring this this what was then a museum now um, I think it's a mosque again um, you're you're seeing remnants of two religions live together and um, and so much of the of the theology I guess like I was I was reading these quotes off the wall and I'm like I don't know if that's is that like I don't know what which religion that's coming from that just sounds like good good solid info to me you know. And um and it's it kind of that started shaping this way I've, I view a lot of like world religion stuff because I do always um, have that sorry I'm I'm straying a little bit here but I do always get those sort of feelings of like well why th- there's no way that everything is wrong that's not Christianity right so so then you're like well if I can find valuable information and kind of stick to the thesis statement of Christianity, you know? Yeah. And like, is that really that bad? I don't know. I have, I actually, wow, this is my first time where I'm like, I do feel like the host of this podcast. I have two tangents. (laughs) I finally said the word. I did the thing. Yeah. Um, The first, so what you're talking about of like the quotes and not being able to identify it. So uh, it was one of my first lectures here at AU in my United States politics class. And they're talking about the quote of like a city on a hill. And they're like, does anybody know where that's from? People are like the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. And they're like, yeah, but like who popularized the term? And they were like, yeah, it's Ronald Reagan. And all of us were like, I I thought that was Jesus Christ and no one else. (laughs) Solid, solid advice still that we're supposed to be a city on a hill. But Ronald Reagan was the one who said that and popularized that term. And every time people quote it, they're quoting Ronald Reagan. 
So that was my first tangent yeah. about just like solid advice, but you got to <laughs> figure out the source. Right, 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 right. And my other one is I, I immediately connected this with all of the like scandals that are happening right now with like AI, where it's like the danger is people, the two dangers are either you're going to trust something that's not real or you're going to be so pre-programmed not to trust something that you'll see something real and not believe it. And like, that's what this feels like of like, mm. what are we supposed to really not believe anything that anyone who calls himself a prophet says, or are we supposed to believe everything and just trust in God or what's the middle ground of like, Nope, that sounds like what God wants, but that does it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, now you have to pull my, my last scripture up real quick, because I think there was literally a line in that. Um, Whoever loves God is known by God. That was how it ends this sort of tangent of like, we have knowledge. Do we need knowledge? Do we not? But whoever loves God is known by God. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it's exactly what what you said first, which is um, I think we, we, we absorb it all. And then we trust God to like, to take care of us, you know, with, yeah. with information, you know? Yeah. Well, interesting. I do. I do have to mention that the other part of this text says that the the surefire way, the surefire rule to see if it's a false prophet is it says multiple times, and if they aren't, they'll die, and says like I'll strike them down. So if you're ever following a prophet, then they drop dead. Something's wrong. That's I wonder, what I got from this Bible text. I wonder if, like, in a modern day context, we can relate that to like a reputation, like a death of a reputation, like, uh, like. Will a pro like God will strike them down? Like their reputation will end. You know, like they yeah. may be this big figurehead, but that will come to an end, right? God, their will public end. life will end. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. Here's my here's my theater reference to that. Are you ready? Do you on, do you know how in in Hamilton there's the bullet track the the woman who plays the bullet yep. and every time she interacts with something they die. Mm -hmm. So. My friend Andrew Simon, I'm giving him the credit for this because he's the one that brought this up. <laughs> he um he mentioned that so in the opening of Act Two, the same actor who plays the bullet and causes all this death, um, she's the one that says to Jefferson, or she when Jefferson says, Sally, be a lamb, darling, won't you open it? Yeah. She's she's Sally, and Sally historically is like the the supposed daughter of Thomas Jefferson, and it's like maybe not supposed, I think that's fact, factual. Yeah. Um therefore killing his reputation because he Ooh. yeah anyway so that's the Ooh, interesting so, I... anyway, so still bringer of death death of his reputation so but anyways it, like i can I, I read that i read that yeah yeah that's interesting i hadn't thought about that yeah all right cool Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> me and sam were talking before before the show about um my ability to segue and uh Was that segue to the break funny, guys? Was it funny? Was it funny? Get... Did you like it? Did you like it? Please love us. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. All right. Um, I'm gonna. I'll. I'll just launch us right into Psalm 111. Hate us with it. That's cool. So yeah. So this is a. 
I mean, I don't want to say this is a traditional psalm, you know. <laughs> well, I, what Sam was, I think it was when we were talking. We we're what did you say about the psalms? It's like, oh, they feel they're, very. They're very psalmy. They're they're well, either they're either praise or don't praise. Those yeah, are the two options. Yeah, praise or don't praise. And this one starts with praise God. <laughs> so <Let's> go. <laughs> I think that's a clue that this is the former. But <clears throat> but okay, so we have this whole psalm, and and really, I think it's I think it's. I'm just going to say it like when I read this in the place that I was in, like the, the line that sticks out to me is verse nine. He has redeemed his people, guaranteeing his covenant forever. His name is holy and awe inspiring. So we have a, a lot of, a long list of kind of like the beauty of God, which <laughs> is very psalmy as we would say, like very, very traditional. But I think today I'm just, I'm just caught on this. He has, he has redeemed his people. Um, and then, so let me back up. I wrote this song a long time ago um, that was basically me, like a younger me, pleading to God to show me where my redemption was. This is where it gets like, you know. Um, yeah, it was basically like the whole course was just show me the redemption in me, like, please. Um, and I think for me, I look at this like the beauty of creation and all these wonderful things listed in the rest of the psalm. Um, and I see all those things in God and I see all these things in other people. And then in, a mo- in moments of insecurity, I start to feel an inability to create in myself that same value that I desperately crave for the kingdom of God, right? We're supposed to be made in God's image. So I'm, I'm like craving to add the value that I hear God discuss in all these Psalms and I see in other people, right? So with that, I feel so enwrapped by the statement that he has redeemed his people because it's not he will redeem his people. He has redeemed his people, and that is guarant- and he's guaranteeing his covenant forever. This is gar- this redemption is guaranteed in us, and it has already happened. So, and then I'm I'm just going to read from my notes here. Sure, there are things God wants of us, but because we are created in God, the redemption has already been offered to us, and it's there. We just have to choose to receive that, and this is the hard part because receiving something that you don't necessarily feel worthy of is like ultimately always the biggest block to success. You know, um, the example I wrote down here is like, again, theater person. If I'm, if somebody offers me like funding for a theater project because they believe in me and they think I am worthy of that support, but I'm insecure and I'm like, oh, well, I don't want to let them down. I'm worried. I don't think I'm worthy of this support. And then I, not only am I shutting off the avenue and the potential for me to do something with that support, but also in this fight with my insecurities, I'm arguably saying, hey, your faith in me, misplaced, wrong. Please, please don't. <laughs> like, I, I know me better and I'm not worth it. So please don't. Um, and, and, you know, if we translate that to God in a sense, it's like, hey, God, nope, that redemption you have for me, not like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I think you're, you must be missing something here. I know you're all knowing. It's great. Cool. But uh, eh. And then even then, even in those moments of rejection where we feel insecure and we're like, oh, I'm not worthy of this redemption. When is it going to come? I'm begging God for redemption. That is there for me. God leaves it on the table. It's not like I have rejected this this like redemption that you have for me, God. I'm rejecting these beautiful things that you think I'm worthy of that I don't. Um, even when I reject it, God still leaves it on the table because that offer is guaranteed. That's what it says in here. And I just think that's really cool. So. That's where I'll leave it there. Sam, if you want to throw anything in there. 
All right, we talked about people pleasing. Let's talk about imposter syndrome. Wow, we're really running the camp today. It is. Yeah. So, so my favorite thing to think about what you said about like your faith is like misguided in me. Yeah. Did my headphones just die? No, we're good. We're good. We can all hear. We're good. Um, my favorite thing that reassures me because like I've been given amazing opportunities by amazing people that I respect a lot and like throughout my life. And one of the things I have to remind myself is that even if I don't feel like I'm ready for this or I don't feel like I'm qualified to do it, the thing I always think about is, okay, this person who gave me this is really smart and they're smarter than I am. Mm. And so who am I to be like, no, yeah, exactly. Who am I to be like, you, you made the wrong choice. Like, right. Absolutely. Even if they see something I don't see, let, let's just go with it. We'll just keep it going. Mm-hmm. And especially like with the idea of God, the one who obviously knows you the best because that's how creation works. Like from the moment that you were born, that idea of like, I, I know exactly what you're going to do. You've been handed this. And yeah. so I trust in that. And that's such a hard thing because it feels amorphous and it feels hard. Like there's no pinpoint answer until we like look at these texts and stuff like that and really dive into our own faith there's no like reassurance of that and that's why faith is scary sometimes Um, because like it does sometimes feel like you have been given the keys to the greatest world Mm. and it's like why why did i get this one why did i deserve this um and that's that's a very real fear that i feel like a lot of people struggle with and like it, it's kind of applicable in anything, I think, like especially yeah. like careers and like art. And my my favorite is when the castles comes out and you're like, that that's not the role I'm supposed to have. I I tangent, theater tangent. Wow, I'm getting good at these tangents. Um I was in a show junior year, and I, of course, like you're in high school, you're looking at the cast list and you're like, I know exactly how it's gonna go, and I know who everyone's gonna be. And I got cast as the character I didn't think I was going to. And I walked up to my director and said, sir, you know, he has to dance, right? <laughs> and he said, you will. And I said, no, sir, he has to tap dance. And he said, I, I know, Sam, I, I cast you. I read the script. You're going to learn. And I was like, you made a really bad choice when you looked at the dance audition. And lo and behold, three months later, I did tap dancing. It was fun. I learned how to do it. Um, but yeah, that's my favorite example of I literally went to him and was like, change it. Like you did something wrong. You know he's the he has a dance solo. No, 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 no. I'm a mover at best. Yeah. Yeah. But it's about it's about putting that faith out there, putting that trust, which is so hard. But it's great that we have like text to remind us of that and conversations to be had about it. No, yeah, absolutely. I mean it feels it feels so big and so unobtainable. And um in some ways it's like also really beautiful to know that God wishes that for us, like wishes this, like this big and obtainable things like God sees the best in us. And even when we don't see it. So to, to trust in God is to trust in the best version of ourselves, which is, is yeah. Oh, put that on a t-shirt to trust in God is to trust the best version of ourselves that I feel like that's such an important reminder especially when you're in your hard places. Yeah. Because like there are times in your life where you do not, no matter who you are, where like 
you're not going to feel like the best version of yourself and you're not going to feel like there is a best version of yourself. It's that like, I'm in this, this is continuous forever. I will always feel this way. And to trust that like, that there is not a better version of you, but like a more full, ver this is just a part of you. Yeah, yeah. There's a more holistic sense of self that's going to come around. Oh, that's, that's so good. Yeah. Man. Okay, we just got really serious. Um, my text is not that serious. This does, you ready for this segue? I just, so the show I was talking about was in junior year. I was in Spam a lot, the Monty Python musical. Um, I was Patsy. I had to learn how to tap dance, which is the transition into Mark, which you might say, what does that mean? I read this. This is the thing I wrote down and told you about on break. I said, I have a joke. Be ready. So I have Mark uh, chapter one, 21 through 28. Uh, the man with the unclean spirit. It's one of the ones where Jesus sees someone with a, a demon, a spirit, whatever you would say, um, and exercises them, frees them of this. And the first time I read it, he says, what have you, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? How, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And I wrote down, I was like, ooh, fear of the other? Ooh, xenophobia? What is this? And then I reread it and was like, no. He's like every Monty Python side character. And that's how I imagine him. He is the, he's the dirty one in the back, like the hecklers in the Muppets who's <laughs> sitting there. He's like, Hey, you, Jesus, <laughs> who are you? And then there, I imagine there's this like great flash of light. Jesus does his Jesus magic. And he's the same guy. He's just not heckling anymore. He's like, thanks, Jesus. So that, <laughs> that's how I read this text. It's that scene in Monty Python where in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they find Galahad and he's this like old crotchety old man. And then he turns, he turns beautiful. <laughs> that's what this scene is. It's the unclean spirit. But <laughs> so that's my segue, but there is something interesting about this text besides the fact that I see it as an old British heckler in the middle of the Bible. Um, in the beginning. So they, they set the stage before this like miracle is done. They go to Capernaum, and it's when the Sabbath came, he began teaching in the synagogue, which in the commentaries they talk about, this is kind of like a staple of how Mark speaks, is like Jesus comes in and then preaches, and then a miracle happens. Um, but what's interesting, and I immediately circled it, and every time I read it, just kept coming back to these couple of words. Uh, it says, they were astounded at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And I was like, oh, what do you, what do you mean? A little, a little dig at the scribes. What do you mean? And that was what I started like looking at commentaries about and figuring out research. And one of the things that they said was that the, the original translation of it is talking about authority versus tradition. Because the scribes as religious officials are taught everything based off of tradition and based off of religious text. And Jesus being Jesus breaks tradition like his very existence like I said it just it destroys and remakes tradition in their eyes like he his existence is something that has never been thought of before it has been prophesied but like it is not there are no conventions for this and so the idea of like a leader talking who knows exactly what they're talking about because a newsflash they are God they're one and the same and that's so interesting of like these, that's not a dig at the scribes per se, 
these scribes are still teaching what they've been taught and they are still upholding as far as we know the traditions of the, the people of god but jesus doesn't need to jesus doesn't need any traditions because his very existence breaks all of that and shatters that and everything he says is is tradition now the like it feels like okay how many theater references can we bring into this? It feels like an improv where it's like, this is canon now. You said it, we're going to continue. That's how Jesus is operating in this because his very existence is the destruction of tradition. Anything that comes after, if it comes out of the mouth of Jesus, who is one with God, that is now religious text. And that is now the word of God. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. And I wish like... I wish there was that kind of clarity with what we talked about with like modern day prophets and modern day leaders. Like I wish there was some kind of, this is the answer. I speak with authority. So what do you think about that? I like the, the impulse, the first thing that comes to mind when you say this is so it's so dumb, but like my brain is like, starts thinking about cults. <laughs> Let me get there. Let me explain. Nope. Speak on it. Well, well, first, I mean, I guess I, I'm, I'm thinking of like the, the radical faith, I mean, it's twofold. One, the like radical faith that these people had to be able to break from tradition to like accept this new canon, as you said, right? Like mm -hmm. that, that's a, that's, that's a big ask. That's a very, very big ask. Like if, I mean, think about it in modern day, if some, if some guy comes up and says, Hey, this is canon now. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, the amount of like, one faith that it would take to like buy into that is, I mean, unimaginable for me. And so then the second half of that then becomes like, I mean, it speaks so much to, to, to just how it felt to be in Jesus's presence. Like Jesus as the son of God, as a man was able to like, just put forth this sort of, I don't know if it's energy or charisma and speaking mm -hmm. like, just the just being in the presence of Jesus, people were like, "I trust you. I want to support you. I believe you, right? Or I fear you, right?" Those these are the yeah. the, you know, the two outlets, and and um, and and it may be a little bit of a stretch because obviously Jesus is part of the Trinity. There's a a, a big holy aspect there, but like, I do think that the the power, like, and the ability of somebody to shine that big of a light that people would be willing to break from tradition in order to follow that person, I think says, and the fact that we see that represented in, in the version of the Trinity that is man, like mm -hmm. representing humankind. Like, I think that's pretty empowering of like us as merely a fraction, a fraction of this, you know, as a human, like we have the ability to, to shine so much light and to, to, yeah, I don't know. Be, be, I mean, you're talking in, in, in regards to like the scribes and stuff like holding that sort of position. I don't know. It's really interesting. I think about, so like when you, you got on cult, so I'm going to talk about it. When you get into that study, when you get into the study of like how those things happen, there is a sociological definition of charisma. that's different than how we use it now. And like the sociological definition of charisma is somebody whose way of speaking is able to like make you suspend disbelief. And it's weird to say that about Jesus of like making you suspend disbelief because what Jesus, like I just said, what Jesus is saying is now true. And like, Jesus isn't lying about this, yeah. but there is still kind of that thing of 
how scary in that moment it must be to have somebody who you've never seen before yeah. come in and say, all of this is fake and I am coming in a, in a new light. It like, and so I, until you had framed it in this way, I'd never really thought about it, but there is kind of a defense for a lot of the fear that people felt seeing this person come in because like it literally is the upending of everything that you've been taught before. Yeah. And it's by, and it's by some dude who you don't know. You've heard, you've heard the name before. Um, and like, what I always think about is that, so like, this is a miracle. He does the magic hands yeah. like that. You can see it, but I always think about, he does the magic hands. He says cured. Um, <laughs> but I always think about like, what are the rest of the world? What's the person in the next town? Because mm. every time this happens, like he even says the unclean, the man with the unclean spirit set, calls him Jesus of Nazareth because they've heard this title before. Yeah. And so imagine like you haven't seen him yet. Haven't seen a miracle. There's just this guy that you've heard about who's claiming to be the son of God and saying that all that you've believed before is being told by people who aren't officials. Like that's so scary. And so I, I like the idea of a questioning population that is their questions are quelled by the power of how, like, of Jesus's presence, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, that's so interesting. Well, and then tie this back into the conversation around, like, false prophets that you, that mm-hmm. right? Like, how do we discern this? We, like, we take it in and then we trust God to help us, right? Because God is part of the tradition. Jesus is the thing that, that breaks and adds to the tradition, right? Maybe not yeah. break, but adds to for sure, right? So, you know, you feel this this intense, like, draw to this individual. And yeah, like you said, scary. There's fear involved. And then you you take that conversation to God and God says, no, this is me. Like, the, mm-hmm. yeah, this is part of it. Like, accept this and, and roll. And that's where that's where I, I think we break out of this, this sort of, like, false prophet fear and the, I don't want to say, cult, like, the cultish, like, sort of element. Yeah. Like, now, no, now it's being rooted back into the tradition and because, you know, I, I mean, there's some old schools of thinking, right. That say it like, um, like God does not contradict themselves. Right. And, um, and I, you know, if we do apply that to this situation, then it's like, yeah, no, like once I pray to God, God reconnects it back and now it's, it's whole again and I can move mm-hmm. forward. Does that make sense? And I, yeah. And I like what you said, like going back to what you said about the presence of Jesus, like that, I love the idea of these people who are questioning if this is a false prophet or not. And how I like to interpret it is there's, especially after the miracle, I feel like there's that feeling of like, yup, this is real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like the same, the thing, same thing that people talk about of like the calming presence of God Yeah, in a man is crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and yeah, that's, that's the, the peace, the peace aspect. I don't live in a constant questioning. There's no doubt in my mind like this. And if there is a doubt in your mind, sorry, I knew just to preface, if there is doubts, yeah. that's okay too. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, the calming presence of God will eventually like wash over us if we choose to accept it and receive it. Right. We have to be willing to like remove ourselves of the insecurities and receive that, you know? Um, yeah. Look at all these full circles we're making. We're, we're weaving these texts let's go there's a narrative and and let me add on to your and because if you are questioning that yes and if you are questioning 
that is not a problem. And I would would caution with my tech specifically. I personally, my interpretation, I don't think the man is unclean because he questions Jesus. Not at all. And no. like that is something that I think is very important because like I think especially of like my generation, there's a lot of people who are afraid of the fact that they have questions and have been taught that questions are a bad thing. Mm. Um, and Jesus doesn't say that in this text. Jesus just yeah. heals and teaches. And so be questioning is part of this. And I just wanted to to add on to your add on. So yes, and oh. you. Uh, no, yeah. that's that. I mean, that's that's so important too. Um, mm. So important. Yeah. All right. I am. I'm gonna close this up in in prayer. I mean, I think most of that can speak for itself. But we'll we'll go to God anyways. Um, Michael, are you excited to do a prayer one last time? Because one last time. <laughs> no more prayers after this. Come on, Sam. Please pray with me one last time. <laughs> Just okay. Um, uh, yeah. God, thank you so much for for this conversation. It's been so it's been so wonderful, and I I I mean I feel more empowered than ever with the way you've been able to like bring these words to the forefront. Um, yeah. As always, it's 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 really nice to kind of see that um, and to have this opportunity to to yeah read into the words and and engage with them through the lens of a, you know, a new era of people. So thank you so much. Uh, that's all I got. I got thank yous. Thank yous all the much. Thank you for Sam. Thank you for everybody in Jesus name. That's all. Um, oh, that's all folks. Never that's mind. All, folks. <laughs> that's all. Uh, yeah. Sam, any, any, um, parting words? I mean, how, how, how do you feel? I'm very excited to continue on with this. And like, I just, want to give one last thank you to you guys to like michael and to the rest of the studio wesley team for being able to like give me this opportunity to do this because i'm really excited and i think that we've talked about how much i love the show and so oh, um, yeah. like there's a weight to it but there's also like just pure gratitude so there's, thank you there's, guys there's no weight at all it's in the best hands it could possibly be in so yeah thank you thank you <laughs> yeah all right until next time this has been studio wesley annex Bye, all. Bye.